I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Sometime during the summer of 2020, as the pandemic raged and businesses struggled to adapt, the corporate wall collapsed. CEOs had to address management teams from their living rooms. Employees worked all day in their pyjamas and, as an aside, got more done than ever. And the mental health and personal circumstances of all staff suddenly became important. We've learned more about each other in the last couple of years than we did in the previous 20 We learned about each other's interests, foibles and personal curiosities, and it was refreshing. But along with the necessity of being less corporate from a pure work perspective, a pressure started to grow for us to reveal more about ourselves in our social media presence as well. Authenticity became a buzzword, and users started to demand that we are more real and less polished when we post Instagram or LinkedIn. And some really struggled with that and are still doing so now. Being true to yourself isn't something that comes naturally to many people in their professional lives. And being able to open up about how we feel or what we believe or about our personal lives is well out of the comfort zones of many people in a professional setting. So how do we go about being ourselves and being true to our real tone of voice? How do we give ourselves permission to do so? And how do we avoid falling into the trap of just copying other people's attempts at authenticity and thus failing completely to be genuine? That's the focus of today's show. And to discuss it with me is someone who I admire very much for the way she has evolved her own tone of voice from being initially pretty corporate into something that is truly personal to her. Antonia Taylor originally got into public relations because she loved writing. She says that she never had the confidence to go into journalism. And when it came to getting a job after university, she instead sent her CV to a bunch of publishing houses. She was offered a summer internship with Macmillan's publicity team. It was literally one of the best summers of my life. It was the same team that, you know, when Renee Zellweger was getting into character for Bridget Jones. It was the same team. It was because Helen Fielding was a Picador author, which is part of Macmillan, was then was part of Macmillan. I don't know if it still is. Yeah, so I kind of, it was the same team that had got Renee Zellweger into character for Bridget Jones. So it was a lot of fun. Antonia ended up working in PR agencies, one of which is where she and I met and worked together. And then 10 years ago, she decided to go it alone and set up as a freelance consultant. At the time, she had two young children starting school, but she says that there was also something in her that just didn't like the way agencies are structured. You'll remember the structure of agency life, and I understand why this happens, of the small clients always getting pushed to the bottom of the pile. And I'd always come from, like, prior to the agency where we worked together, I'd come from an agency that was um, where we'd done a lot of small business work as well. So I just, I've always had this burning thing about sort of like, I didn't like the way that small businesses got put to the bottom of the pile. And I really believe there was a better way to serve them and service them from a PR and comms perspective. Small business has always been my absolute sweet spot. So be it established small businesses or startups. And I just thought there was so much more I could do in terms of supporting them, in terms of 
telling their stories in terms of helping them build their communities. So that was a big, big incentive for me. At the start of her independent career, Antonia went freelance in the purest sense, in that she worked into an agency for three days and did other work on a separate day. This echoes my own way into independent working, where I had a contracted position for three days a week for nearly two years to give me security while I built my confidence and the business. But after a year or so, she realised she was still effectively doing the same as when she was employed. The promise of freedom and creative fulfilment offered by independence wasn't being realised. It was at this stage that she started to develop her own personal brand. But it wasn't straightforward. I still had such a legacy of of that corporate personality to shake off. Um, I was working with a coach at one stage and she was like, you're going to have to get rid of those black column dresses that you keep because I always used to refer to these like like I kept them in my cupboard like but you know for pictures and stuff you bring in your power you know your black power dress and what have you and um, the coach I was working with at the time says I want you to take them to Oxfam because they're there in the back of your cupboard and you're using you know they're kind of like your plan b it took a while to shake off a lot of the behaviors both personally in my writing in the brand you know that, that I carried with me and I think what my, um, it was Sally, uh, my coach at the time, she said, you know, I had to sort of like shed the skin of some of the symbols of that corporate life to be able to then sort of like step into who I was becoming very slowly in terms of someone that was actually had the confidence to say, no, I have to talk about my business as much as I need to talk about my client's business. I need to tell my story as much as I need to tell my client's story. You know, I need to start thinking of myself as maybe, you know, my number one client almost. You know, for me, another big part of that behaviour, even last week, Paul, I went to see the Whistler exhibition because I found out it was about to, to, to end. And I was like, oh, my brother told me he was going at the weekend. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to go at the weekend. I had a meeting, a, a client meeting at lunchtime, about 15 minutes, not even like 10 minutes around the corner from the Royal Academy where this exhibition is. Paul, when I went, to, I was like, I'm going to book myself a ticket before the meeting. And my hand was shaking when I went to book the ticket on my phone. Because I was like, what? It's Thursday. How can you go to an art gallery at 11 o'clock on a Thursday? <laughs> you know, and it just like, so like, you know, that sort of like separation, you know, that obsession with, you know, is this billable time, etc. You know, that took years to shed. And yeah. I mean, arguably the fact that I had a bodily reaction to 45 <laughs> minutes out to go and see an art exhibition on my way to a client meeting suggests there's still a little bit of work to do there <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean when it comes to the way you present your yourself now and the way you perhaps write about yourself the way your your tone of voice mm-hmm. how did you go about for want of a better phrase finding yourself how did you come to a personal brand that you are now comfortable with and how long ago was that do you think I mean I I think we all evolve as personal brands I really do um so I you know I don't look at it as like you know like a finished piece of work at all as you Uh know I would say I got super conscious about it probably six years ago okay just in terms of the confidence of being able to say you know the right believing and trusting that this will speak to the right people. 
But again, there was a story there. I remember I had this obsession about um, getting a legal client. And I was at a personal brand session with a guy called Phil Pallon. And he was just, I was just like, you know, I find it really hard because I think at the time I was sort of like stepping away from that corporate stuff, but felt like, still felt like I needed to hang on to, you know, that sort of, that sort of more jargony, maybe sort of industry language and sort of like just to connect with that audience. And he was just like, look at you. Like, I think at the time I was like wearing a pink jumper or something. He was like, look at you. Why wouldn't you just go in there with your pink jumper and your smile and just say, this is what I can do for you as I am. And it's just, you know, again, it's that thing where, you know, how many times did I need to seek external permission for me to sort of just tune into something that was obviously dying to come through Mm. so it's a real process where did that first come through because i know know you i don't know if you still are big on instagram in terms of for business use yeah a little bit was was it instagram that you you kind of did that first let's call it experimentation with in terms of revealing more about who you are as a person I think so I would say there's a couple of things that happened um I would say definitely Instagram I went I went onto Instagram to see actually as an experiment to see if it would work for B2B brands right but then it sort of opened up you know as these things do a whole new world of community and possibility and connection and I think it did show me what was possible to a certain extent for for personal brands and putting yourself front and center but what I would say is that again there was an unpacking there because you know, at one stage, there was a very Instagrammy tone of voice. And I became very conscious that when I was in, on Instagram, I started using a different tone of voice to when I was LinkedIn, say, or on LinkedIn, or when I was like writing an email, it was almost like this sort of like, yeah, like I hadn't I had a, you know, you know like how your mum used to have a phone voice, you know, I had like an Instagram voice that wasn't particularly true or genuine either, because I guess I was sort of like absorbing so many of the voices as you do, and then just sort of like integrating those. So again, it was the unpacking of that. It's going to sound really uncool if I tell you this, but I think what really helped me um, find my voice was actually sort of journaling, to be perfectly honest. When I got more into writing and I started doing, having a serious sort of more like journaling practice, that's kind of like when I sort of actually felt that what was coming out on the page was what was like in within me yeah. in all in the truest sense so I think that's really helpful and I always always when I'm working with clients like helping them with their writing I do say just actually just do like five minutes with a pen and paper yeah because I think that just unclogs stuff um it helps you you know shed all the inherited voices all the tender you know like all the like you know I hope you're well and you know <laughs> yes. The proverbial toilet brush up the backside speak. <laughs> See, I've noticed more and more people in, I would say, the last six months, and I'm putting this in air quotes, being themselves on on LinkedIn specifically. Mm. I, I do wonder whether there is a tendency to kind of play to the crowd when you are trying to be, I'd hate the word, but authentic, um, like you said, genuine, and you are adapting or adopting voices from other people and whether that is slightly inevitable no matter what platform you're on I don't know what your thoughts are on that can you really be really true to yourself okay so I think there's there's two questions there like can you really be true to yourself and also what's going on on LinkedIn on the LinkedIn one I would 
I mean, again, Paul, you know, we're friends because I think we have a very <laughs> shared worldview of things. I have absolutely noticed that too. And like, you know, the number of LinkedIn posts that's, that start with, I know everyone says that LinkedIn isn't Facebook, but or <laughs> yeah. as a, as, as a, you know, as a working pet, you know, like just like, and you're just like, okay, I've tuned out already. Stop this. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't necessarily consider that authentic because what you're doing is that you're just taking a format and overlaying your own thing on top of it absolutely trying to create that connection I guess someone's done like a sort of read something about how it's really important to tell your own story but Mm. you almost dilute it because it becomes it becomes formulaic or over rehearsed and therefore it's not actually particularly genuine anyway that's quite a good way of putting it actually the the over rehearsed thing because Occasionally I read posts like this and I think, do you know what, that that person is trying to tell a very personal story in their own voice and you can see that they're trying to put themselves out there. Yeah, and it's really great. They've written it in such a way that I've read that post 15 times already this week. Do you know what I mean? It's just the way things are written. Yeah, and sometimes I just think you have to be a bit more, um, it's almost like what's the original what, what's the original thought there? Yes, absolutely. And I think maybe that's the thing that, you know, because sometimes, you know, I think at one stage on LinkedIn, I started, I was doing like, it was just like some sort of, some sort of like my week in numbers, like this is peak lockdown. And I got loads of engagement because I did it on a Friday and I did like, you know, number of Zoom calls or whatever. And then also like, was like doing like how many magnums I'd eat. And like, you know, it was in the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but it's just kind of a little bit of fun. It just mixed things up a bit. Yeah. But equally, by the time you do that, two or three times then it's kind of done you know it's just like you know you have to come up with that next thought I mean what I would say and I think you'd agree with me that if you're thinking about something the chances are that other people are having that thought as well you know I remember reading Ramesh um you know the comedian like him sort of saying you know like like in terms of how he developed his his content he was just like he just started talking about what he wants to talk about and it just it just landed because inevitably other people are having those thoughts as well. Mm. So, so I think it's just about how you unpack your your honest thoughts rather than trying to scrapbook some what you think is authentic onto someone else's template. You know, it's that thing on Instagram now. It's like you can get like um, reels templates. You go into a reel that you like and then you can click on it and then you can use that template to create yours. That's kind of what's happening on LinkedIn. Yes, they haven't actually done the template thing it's just people have sort of like organically used a formula as a template yeah I totally agree I totally agree with you it's a bit frustrating but again though I guess I say that it shouldn't be frustrating because the the other way to view that is that is an opportunity because if you then do exactly what you're talking about and write down your thoughts as you think them and don't try and polish them into some sort of templated post Mm-hmm. that's where you get the cut through. And I've noticed this myself. I I, I mean, I'm as, I'm as guilty of this as the next person on occasion, I think. Really? I've never seen you. I've never seen yeah, not, not in not in an obvious way. But I have I have written the odd post and then revisited it and and polished it a bit. Whereas I shouldn't. What were you trying to do by polishing it? Probably make it into more of a oh, this is gonna sound awful. Make it more clickbaity. Okay. Because I want people, and this is the secret to LinkedIn, is to get people to click the read more button. Yeah. And and 
then obviously you have a question there. So people feel inclined to comment and blah, blah, blah. So polishing those first sentence or two mm. into something a bit more, I don't know the word, disingenuous perhaps. To grab attention, yeah. But having said that, I, I, I'm self-aware enough to realise I was doing it. I only did it a couple of times and I don't do it anymore. But it seems to me sometimes that people... I don't know. It, it, it's happening a lot, put it that way. I just, just see it a it's lot. It's happening a lot. And I guess also, I guess people are in this stage at the moment. Like everything's a bit transitional still, aren't they? Yeah. You know, like we're not quite back in the world yet. There's, you know, there's this, I guess it's almost, maybe people almost feel like a pressure to be themselves when it doesn't come naturally to them. Yes, very much so. You know, so we're like, you know, we're being told to like, you know, be authentic and, you know, and show yourself 100%, you know, like, you know, I really believe that you do have to show yourself to have that genuine connection in your communications. Mm, you do. But I think you have to find it, you have to do it your way almost. And you have to just, like you said, like, you know, you've got the self-awareness enough to know when actually I'm just going to do this for the clickbait. So I'm doing this for the clicks. I'm going to feel a bit yuck afterwards and I'm not going to repeat this. But for this particular <laughs> post, I kind of have that, you know, and if you make your piece of that, okay, like take the learning. But but also, I, I don't know, Paul, but sometimes... You know when like you kind of think like oh I've got to go on I've got, and this is what this is the same of Instagram it's the same of LinkedIn when it comes from that disingenuous place it will inevitably sink you know it's, it's always the posts that come from and I'm not saying like you know be complete you know you don't have to be overly vulnerable but those those posts that actually come from you know those posts that write themselves or the content that writes itself yeah. um, that comes from such a place of like, you know, I just really want to contribute to this conversation or I really feel like this is my experience and I wonder if, I'm, you know, I'm curious about how people, you know, had the same experience or, you know, I really, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to create five lovely writing tips because this is where, this is what I want to do from my heart at the moment. Those are the things that fly before um before Christmas like I had this little post it just literally landed in my head and I think I wrote it on my phone on the way to get my second vaccine literally like and I had to like go and emotionally manipulate the guy at Boots to give me it give me the second vaccine because I wasn't you know I was trying to get it before Christmas blah 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 I wrote this post on my phone obviously polished it up popped it onto Canva it kind of it didn't go I wouldn't say it went viral but it had you know, like 700 likes, like so many shares. It really, like my friend, like anyone that they're like, I'm seeing this post everywhere. It really, really <laughs> blew up because it because it wrote itself and it came from such an honest place of of that mood. And again, it goes back to that thing that, you know, if you're feeling it, someone else does as well. I just want to interject quickly because I have some very exciting news. After a three-year hiatus due to the pandemic, Digital Download Live is back, in person and in September. If you've been before, you'll know that it's a fantastic day packed full of audience-led Q&As, interviews, workshops and presentations, all focused on the very latest stuff that you need to know if you work in digital communications, PR or social media marketing. Now, so much has changed in marketing communications over the last couple of years. Technologies like NFTs and the metaverse have come to the fore. TikTok now gets more internet traffic than Google, while Facebook and Instagram are both on the slide. And iOS 14 and the deprecation of third-party cookies are killing digital advertising and analytics as we know them. 
It's a challenging time for marketers and staying on top of all of the changes is a bit of a minefield. But that's what Digital Download Live is for. For more information and booking details, head to ddl22.com. That's ddl22.com. I hope to see you there. About three years ago, Antonia started writing a newsletter, something that more and more people have taken on over the last 12 months or so. The tone of her newsletter has evolved dramatically at that time, and she says that three years ago she was extremely self-conscious. She explains that she was writing in a tone of voice that, while it was a useful learning experience, was still hiding behind jargony language and clickbaity headlines. I think I was trying to show everyone, you know, I don't know how how much I knew about PR, really, and, you know, what it could mean to them. And I think sometimes people want to connect with the person more than they want to connect with the you know, however impressive the skill set is, it kind of operates at a certain level, doesn't it? It does. And that is what your newsletter now does. When it, when you read it, it's very personal. It, it feels very personal. Even if you're not talking about something highly personal to you, it feels very personal. And that's because of the tone of voice that you have, I was going to say developed, but it's, it's probably not even developed. You've just, just come to that and being more yourself now. Because your, yeah. your tone of voice in your newsletter is very uh, soft very friendly and I know you it's it's you right when I read that I, I read you yeah and I know because thank you because you have you have always encouraged me to to get there as well so thank you but I mean ha, do you find that has the response to that newsletter since you've you've got it to where it is now has the response to that increased and, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is is there a measurable aspect to that that you think actually this is working better than the way I used to be being not quite so myself okay I think I mean again I think I've done a newsletter on like you know like using the wrong metrics somewhere along the line I think it worked on a purely sort of like selfish level it works for me because it feels like it's it's like a natural creative platform for me to sort of you know you've talked about this Paul about how you know this is your land you're owning it, you're writing for humans, not algorithms. There's all those pieces that you've talked to as well about sort of like being able to build something on your own land, like, you know, when you talk about the podcast as well. So there's that. You know, in terms of like sales and, you know, sort of like client development, I got an email from a guy who was the head of a VC, like a tech VC. I didn't realise he was on my email list. And he was like, he was like, you know, I love the way you write. What else do you do from a PR perspective? So, you know, literally shot him like a three-line um, message. And, you know, and it just like we had like a lovely conversation last week and I'm sending over, you know, my credentials to him. And it just, he he almost offered me a job to go in-house. So, you know, it's just like right. on the back of a newsletter. You know, you don't expect those sort of things. Another metric that I use, obviously, is, is you know, I look at, it's on MailChimp and I look at what the open rates are. Yeah. And I know that my my newsletter consistently performs above fifty percent open rate, which I believe. Okay. You know, like I think what's I don't know what the average is. It's like twenty three or something. You want it, you want it to be above twenty three or twenty five percent, don't you? So I'm happy with that. But then also it's just my inbox, Paul. You know, you get a whole. You know, when I get a a number of personal emails from people who have read this and said, you know, I've been feeling this too. How do you read my mind? 
obviously it's nice when people say this is really nicely written I really appreciate that but it's more about you know it's about the connection yeah you know it's always about when, when someone says you know this is exactly what I've been feeling thank you one of the things I've tried to stop doing is um in the structure of the newsletter was I would often and obviously you've been a very generous guest before but I, I actually find the ones when it's just my voice actually perform better than when I um yes. have contributors don't know if you've ever had that um experience no, I, I, again people are subscribing it to hear from you not from other people yeah I hear sometimes and this is I suppose this is more recently. I've had some people have said to me, because again, I go back to LinkedIn because that's my platform of choice at the moment. uh, And that changes as well. But anyway, at the moment, I have people saying to me, and they say, typically, I wish I could be so honest or transparent or, you know, I don't know what the words are. But what they're getting at is you just write what you think or or you're not afraid to, to open up to people. And what do you say back to them? What do you say back to them? This is it. I, that that's exactly what I was going to try and get to. Is is I, I struggle with that one because for me, I don't know. how I'm interested in your views on this. For me, it's not a difficult thing to do, but I'm talking personally, and maybe it's a historic thing for me anyway. But I think you're a bit different in that. In that, it took you, like you said, it took you years, perhaps to get to a point where you were prepared to open up and be yourself a bit more. Mm. So, I mean, if if I were to say to you that, you know, I I wish I could be more honest and transparent and and be more myself, what would you say? I think if someone has got that sort of like urge and that sort of, you know, that longing almost to be themselves, I think you just have to ask them, like, what, again, I, you know, I'm not a coach, as you know, but, like, what's holding you back from doing that? And I think it's interesting, like, if you actually want to, you know, compare the two of us, like, you were always, for anyone listening, obviously, Paul and I used to work together in in the PR agency, it's how we know each other. You were always more of a maverick, anyway, than I, you know, I've always been more conformist than you have. Um, you all, you know, I think almost like some of your personal brand, I would say, was, you know, you were always the cool one. You were always the, one that, <laughs> That's the first cool. time in my life anyone's ever said I was cool. <laughs> okay, but you were like, I remember once you definitely objecting to, like, I think you didn't love having to wear ties into pictures. <laughs> you know, like, it's that, yes. it's, there's, there's all this little, you know, I know it's just like, it sounds superficial because it's like, you know, it's about clothes or whatever, but actually, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah, you know, like, you always like loved your sort of like colourful shirts, etc. But I think that that says about, that tells a lot, this is about who you are. That's all part of who you are. And, you know, you have had more confidence about around that expression. Whereas for me, I kind of had to go to, you know, I had to literally unpack my wardrobe and take, get rid of my corporate yeah. black dresses to think, actually, I'm going to start wearing jeans more or, what, you know, whatever it is. So I think I was, if someone said that to me, I would, I would say just start practicing. Yeah. Just start practicing, getting you get into the habit of being that person that you want to be. Mm. And it might be that, you know, and again, you know, I'm going to bring this back to writing because that's kind of where I sort of like base a lot of my work. It might be just like, you know, practice writing something that, you know, no one has to see, no one has to publish it. But, you know, what do you want to say? And even if it's a question, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a deep, deep dive into, you know, your soul. But something like, you know, what, even if you're sort of like writing something about what, what your clients are asking you or something or a goal that you're working towards, you know, within your work or your business, even if you just free write to that, 
in a notebook and you know journal around that I think if you keep doing that it's like the more you write the more you write right and um you know it's just if you just keep on practicing stuff will start to come through that you that will surprise you and that will surprise your the people that you're trying to reach as well I think that's a really good tip to to write stuff even if you have no intention of publishing it yeah and it's really freeing it's really freeing so you know um and I, and I, I do that all the time and again I would say you know there's is because you're not there's there's no self-censorship there and I think Paul like you know I know that um even like you know we were talking about earlier the point about LinkedIn and like how people are sort of like using a certain formula in many ways that's still self-censorship because people are trying to say something but they're not quite saying it the way they want to yeah yeah no I agree how much do you think people either should or need to reveal about themselves to be really successful in really opening up i mean every i accept in this question it's 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 an odd one because everyone is going to have a different level of comfort over what they talk about and how they talk about it and what they reveal about themselves but do you think there is a a level where i mean I, I, i am i saying to people just like you said just try it and see where your level is i don't know you can be really honest without actually having to, you know, reveal too much about yourself. I would say that anything that makes you sort of, if your voice is going to go, you know, maybe, if it's, you know, but that's happened before to me, like, you know, like if, if it's going to, anything that maybe makes your, you know, you get an anxiety rash, maybe don't talk to that. I think your body's a really good indicator of that. It, it's a hard one. Everyone's got a totally different threshold on that one. Yeah. Some people are absolutely fine at talking about um, topics that are deeply, deeply personal to them, and other people kind of know where their what their benchmark is, what their tolerance point is for, for being personal. I guess also you have to think about you know how does this help as well? You know, like you know what's the what's the purpose? If you're going to share something that is actually a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you actually think will be able to contribute or help someone you know you might have to maybe, maybe taking that brave step is the leap that would open up a new conversation I did I wrote about loneliness I think god it might it must be coming up for like like a year and a half ago and that really you know loneliness in sort of like running your own business yeah and that that really connected but there are topics and I know that you you were like a real pioneer of talking about uh mental health years before anyone else was and you do that in a way that I think does make people feel at ease as well about it. And like you said, it like inspires that response. I don't know. I think there's some topics that I might not really feel massively. Maybe maybe I'm not through that yet for some of the topics. Have you ever published anything and it's given you the jitters? <laughs> you know, and you've got, oh, I, I don't think I ever should have done that. Or you've published it and deleted it or... Do you know what I mean? Those posts where you're right on the edge of your comfort. Have you ever gone that far? No. I mean, the only time I've deleted posts is because actually I realised that they were crap and they didn't, <laughs> even they were just, you know, they just added to the noise. And I really, I don't like doing that. Um, I don't think I have. I think probably because I do, I edit my posts, you know, I edit my writing before I do it. Sometimes I even write, I mean, without wanting to sound like a complete what I do sometimes write things out by hand first right. and then sort of like think about them. I tend to sleep on my, like from a social media perspective, I do sleep on a lot of the stuff I post. I don't think I've ever, I ever have done that. 
Yeah, I think I've kind of got a good sense of where my boundaries are on that, which is unusual for me, which is really unusual because you know I've got a terrible issue with leaky boundaries, but apparently they're all right about personal content. (laughs) I have to admit, I've done it occasionally, Mm. only very occasionally, published something and had that, oh, I don't know what people are going to say, or... Did you it. leave it? Did you leave it to breathe, or did you delete Can't it? Can't even think now. I think I've I've done both. Yeah. On the odd occasion, I've published something and I've gone, no, nah, sounded like a dick, so I've deleted it. And on the other odd occasions, I've published something. I mean, you you mentioned the mental health thing. The first time I ever spoke about that, yeah, that was one of those squeaky bum moments where I'm yeah, like, I bet. my god, I don't know what how this is going to go down. Yeah, it's giving me the shivers just when you said it as well because it must have been so sort of but for you it must have also represented like such a huge sort of like shedding of so much I guess it's probably those early things that define how you go on because that was for me that was 10 years ago now almost probably something like that and people weren't talking about it in those days the way they do now and and all right it was nerve-wracking at the time but because that went down so well, it gave me the confidence to open up a bit more and a bit more and, and not just about that about lots of other things and now I'm fairly open as a person, I think, um, which is probably yeah, why people say things to me about, I wish I could be like that. But if, if you switch it and say, what if what if the response to that had been wholly negative and I'd been hauled into the office at the agency I worked in mm. and I don't know, may, maybe it had all gone wrong, then you can imagine that I wouldn't be as open about stuff now by any stretch of the imagination. So it's probably those early things that shape it. Yeah, it goes back to that sort of self-censorship thing. And it would be really, it would be such a shame as well. And I think this probably happens more in the corporate in the corporate world, like where people have people are just, you know, permanently self-editing self, yeah, editing themselves, self-censoring themselves out of existence because they're scared of what people are going to be say, they're scared of what people are going to how people are going to judge them. And I think, you know, I think it's a shame if it was fear holding you back because of other people's reactions rather than like what your personal tolerance level is for that, you know, for that level of sharing. I don't I don't think it's exposure. I think it's sharing. Hmm. So if if there are people to listen to this, maybe it's uh, I don't know, it doesn't have to be a freelancer. It could be a CEO or a marketing director or a, an office junior. It doesn't matter. Anyone. Yeah. What would be kind of your one thing to say to people on their journey to being themselves? What would be your one kind of major tip to them? My one major tip to them would be, again, I would go back to that writing thing. I I just go back to that level of, that you know, just get into the habit of writing, even if it's 10 minutes a day, and then see what comes through. Because I think even by the end of doing that practice for, you know, five working days across the week, I think you will come to like a nugget of thought or a nugget or, or a pattern that you're starting to see. And I think that could be interesting. Paul, I just realized, actually, I was thinking when you said, have you have I ever posted anything? Mm. The first time I posted one of my poems, because I started like I started getting some poems published on generally. And I think actually the first time I posted a poem on Instagram was one of those like, oh, my God, have I pulled my knickers down moments? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> and I couldn't think of a more poetic way to put that, so I apologize. <laughs> and that felt very that felt very sort of like vulnerable and what's gonna happen. But I'm assuming your the response to that 
was it was lovely it's really yeah everyone's just you know and I think also um connected with you know I noticed that I had a response from people that sort of you know don't usually bother writing like a comment it's usually people that just like tap heart tap heart but actually um it engaged on a completely different level it just goes to show doesn't it yeah you open up and people do respond to it definitely yeah and then because people also I think it almost you know it's that thing where you're in I don't want to say that I'm giving people permission, but I think it just allows people to connect on a different level as well. A huge thank you to Antonia for being so open in this show. Look her up and subscribe to her newsletter on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.